Hello, and welcome to the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us. Today's message is here to help you preach the good news everywhere in your day-to-day life. Here at Covenant Fellowship, we accomplish this by encountering God, loving people, and serving others with everything we've got. Now let's dive in. So we're going to finish up our series today that we've been doing called Under Construction. My great prayer is that you really get this in your heart and in your life about our mission, vision, and values and constructing that on and on and on for what God has called us to do. You're going to hear messages more and more about this as we move forward and continue to go forward because I truly believe that if God has a place called heaven, if that he has a mansion for you. Jesus said in John 14, to let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. If there is a mansion for you, if there is a place called heaven where there's no crying, no dying, no shame, no guilt, no pain, if there's a place called heaven, and I believe there is, and I believe that God has prepared that place for you, why on this earth would he save you and then leave you in a world that is filled with so so much brokenness, so much hurt, so much pain, so much disappointment? I'll tell you why. Because it is his will that not any should perish, but that all would come to repentance and that he would build a church that would be his voice, his hands, and his feet to a to a world so that people could themselves receive Jesus as their Savior. And we as a church are here not to just hear good messages. We are engaged in the mission. And what I want to preach to you and continuously preach to you is engagement in that mission because Jesus is soon to return and this thing is about to wrap up. We're going to start a new series called Are You Ready? And it's going to be talking, it's going to be some end time stuff but it's also going to deal with not just end times prophecy, it's going to deal with end times now, what God is wanting to do right now. Are you ready for the power of God? Are you ready for the things of God? Are you ready for the coming of Jesus? Are you ready for what's happening and what's transacting on this earth right now? And I want to be able to give you some of those things. So we're going to start a brand new series. So you need to get all your people in, all your family who wants to know, are we near the coming of Jesus Christ? I know you can say that by the fact that time moves on and we're closer today than we were yesterday, but it don't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. But what does it look like in the scope of prophetic understanding to help us realize, friend, you and me don't have much longer to work. I believe that. I truly and honestly believe that. And, and, and I want to share with you what that looks like. But we're going to be engaged in mission and vision as long as God has us here. And that's going to be the challenge of this house is to be engaged in the mission and vision and values of what God has called us to do. And I want to make, make sure that what God is doing in your heart is equipping you for the purpose that he has for your life. 
And if you operate in that purpose, what I know is, is that God will reach people through your life, through your testimony, through who you are. If you'll surrender everything to God. Can you say amen to that? So we've been talking about our mission, vision, and values. I don't know if you have it memorized yet. I've challenged our staff members to please memorize this because these are more than just words. I promise you we're not going to pass these along after this series is over. We're, we're not going to pass these by. In other words, this is not going to die when this series is over. You're going to hear mission, vision, and values till you're sick of it or engage in it one. I don't know. But you're going to hear it, mission, vision, and values, because this is what we got to do, friend. So what is our mission? To preach the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone everywhere. When we're doing that, what do we want to see happen? We want to see people encounter God. We don't want to argue with them about doctrine. We want to see them encounter the living God. We want to see the fullness of the Lord come alive in somebody's life. We want them to experience the love of God. People need to experience, the greatest human need is to experience love. And, and I, I want us to walk in that love. And then finally, we want them to understand that there's a place for them in the kingdom of God. Your life is never as important and you don't have purpose until you step into your creative purpose. God's plan for your life. When you step into that, you know how fulfilling that could be. Those of you that are serving and those of you that are following God in that light. But we want others to know that. And as we're going, we want to make sure that we're word-centered, spirit-led, presence-driven, mission-engaged, family-valued, and worship-focused. Our mission, vision, and values is how we plan on fulfilling what God said to us to arise and shine and become radiant. How many of you remember, we've been saying this on and on now for a couple of years. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness covers the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And when you begin to embrace that, how are we going to embrace that? By our mission, vision, and values. So now, here's what we're under construction. Okay, how do I pull off these mission, vision, and values. Well, I'm going to build with God. I'm going to co-labor together with the Lord because God's doing something. He's building a spiritual house. So let's wrap this up. 1 Peter 2, 4 through uh, 5. The Bible says, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected, Indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. How many know that's talking about Jesus? This actually is a prophetic, there was a prophetic scripture talking about Jesus being a builder, or one who the builders reject, the chief cornerstone. So he is a living stone, but he's coming to you. You also as living stones, solid as a rock but alive. Amen? How many know Chevrolet didn't steal that? Nor Bob Seger. Seger. Huh? Solid as a rock. Come on, somebody. Bunch of thieves trying to steal the name of the people of God. Living stones built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So how we're doing this under construction is we're going to build with God. We're going to build with a plan, a purpose. God has a plan. God has a plan for this church. You know why we're not like every other church in town? Because God has a plan for this church. 
we're all part of a body. I'm not here to say we're the only one, but here's what I am saying. We serve a purpose in the kingdom of God. Not everybody, I mean, you know, there's other churches that have a different expression. There's others that do traditional expressions. There's others who like have pews rather than chairs. There's others who don't do lights. There's others that do the liturgical look. But you know what? We're here to serve the Lord in the way that he wants us to serve him. And this is who we are. Can you say amen to that? So God has a purpose. But everything that God builds, he's going to give you a plan. But you've got to work it out by faith. Can you say amen to that? Anything that God does in your life and through this church and through your ministry, you're going to have to walk by faith. Here's what we want to do. We want God to give us the picture of how every bit of it's supposed to look so that we, ha- we don't have to take a risk. But how I many you know God just gives you a snapshot? God just gives you a picture. He doesn't give you every single little detail of your life. You got to walk it out by faith. You got to get in the word. You got to pray. You got to seek his face. You got to ask for discerning of the spirit. You got to ask for God's leadership and guidance in your life. You got to ask for direction. And you're going to have to step out in faith. And that's how we're going to do this thing, man. We're going to launch out. We're stepping out in faith. We want to see what God can do through a church who will step out in faith. We did that several years ago. I remember. It was, in, it was in the month of December. And uh, we had been at Norfolk Avenue. How many, how many of you know where our church was located first, where we started from? Norfolk Avenue. Two, actually, it's called Norfolk Avenue Church of God, but it was 1128 New Hampshire Avenue. Let me see your hand if you know. few of you. Okay, that's, that's exciting. Because we started off in a little small building on 1128 New Hampshire Avenue. We started off in that, if you don't know where that is, it's over on kind of the uh, northeast side of town um, near, um, I don't know what all's over there in that area, but, but, but Suffolk Avenue and Danville Avenue and Fairview Street and at the end of Mary Street on up past the corner doghouse, over in that area of town, that's where we started. We started out with 18 people. The Sunday before we came, there were eight people in worship service that morning. The first Sunday we came, there were 18, and my family made up four of those 18. It didn't take us long to get to 50, long to get to 80, and and then we got to about 85, and that was as far as we could go. We had torn down... A, bit, a little building, a little storage building over to the side. We had extended the parking lot to the, from one property boundary to the other. People were parking on the street, parking in front of other people's houses, getting cussed out because they couldn't park, and now this is not good. And I remember on that December, it was the 1st of December, and we were having a, a, at the time, called a council meeting instead of a board meeting. And we were having a council meeting, and I went into the, our church council that Sunday morning, Right before I actually went in there, I was going to pitch the idea that it's time to step out in faith. And I don't know how we're going to do it. We don't have a large budget, but we're going to have to take a step in faith because this cannot be our home forever. And I remember that morning, actually, one of, one of the pastors, he's, he's an actually now a state leader, but he was a pastor in our movement. Uh, that same morning, he called me. He had no idea what was about to happen. But how many you know that's how God works if you obey the Lord? 
he, my, I became you know, impressed upon his heart. He was pastoring on the, in Virginia Beach area. And that morning my phone rang uh, before church started. And I looked down and I saw that it was na- his name. And I picked it up and I answered the phone. And he said, hey, Michael, listen, uh, God's really put you on my heart today. And I want to pray for you. I said, well, actually today I'm going to pitch a, 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 a something to the congregation. Because I feel like God's put faith in my heart to step out. And we're about to leave everything that we know. We are about to leave everything that we have that's bought and paid for. For something that God is leading us to. We didn't know anything on that building. We didn't know nothing, anything on anything at that particular point in time. And, uh, and I said, uh, okay, man, pray for me. And we prayed. We had prayer on the phone. and We had service that morning. Then that, we had that board meeting afterwards and that, that council meeting. And I went in there and I said, listen, guys, uh, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm telling you this next year coming up in January, we're going to step out. And we're going to move forward in where God's called us to be. And I don't know what that looks like. At the particular time, I didn't know what it was looked like. I didn't have a place to go. I hadn't found a building yet. My wife and I had pulled into parking lots and prayed over things and been all over town asking God, where do you want us to go? Because we had a vision before we ever became the pastor that God would centrally locate this church in this entire region and it would become a lighthouse to the entire region. Some people may have passed that off as just young and ambitious, but it's been a burning fire in my heart all these years. And, we, and, and so I went in there that morning, and, and part of the board that day was a man by the name of Earl Inman, and some of you know him. He, he, he went to be with the Lord after we were only in this place a couple few years. Earl Inman was the longest standing member of the church. He had raised his kids and married his kids and buried one of his children as a result of being in the church. They had all been a part of that Norfolk Avenue church deal there. And so I felt like, man, I'm going to share this with these people, with these board members, and boy, there's one here that's literally got blood, sweat, and tears on this property that may be so married to this property that I might have a fight on my hands. Because how many of you know sometimes they in church? Don't act like you're so sanctimonious. Some of you came here because of a church fight somewhere else. Anyway. I, I thought to myself, you know, but man, I felt like God moved on somebody to pray for me that day. The Lord must be with me on this because he had put this vision in my heart, this direction in my heart. We had, to, we had that meeting that morning. And, or, or after church that afternoon, and I said, hey, guys, listen, I don't know where we're going to go. I think Dion may have been in there. And I said, I don't know where we're going to go. I don't know what we're going to do. But I believe in this next year we're supposed to step out and go somewhere. And I don't know what that looks like, but this property has served its time for us as a congregation. And uh, Dion was like, I'm all in, man, let's go. And I think Michael Paul maybe at the time was, I'm all in too, let's do it. And, yeah, Brother Miller. Brother Miller, he's not here this morning, but you guys know Brother Miller. He comes in on a wheelchair because he's an important part of the history of this church. He's like, yeah, man, let's go do it. I get to Earl, and I'm thinking, oh, no, here we go. Because let me tell you something about Earl. Earl had no filter between here and here. None. I remember one time we were doing something out in the parking lot of the Gate City Highway building. A man comes walking down from the hill. We're spreading mulch in a playground that we have there. And the guy says, is this a paid job or y'all volunteering? 
And he said, hey, we're volunteering. Errol said, we're volunteering because this is our church. And he said, won't you get in here and help us? Volunteer with us. The man said, no, I, don't, I can't do that. He said, help you lose weight. You wasn't so big and fat. I'm thinking, dear God, Earl's going to get killed right here in front of us. Y'all don't even know, man. Y'all don't even know. Earl was the closest guy to me, but man, he would say things at times. Shocked me. Do things at times. It shocked me. The first Bible school we had, he thought it was 1947, and he busted the kids behind. Oh, my goodness, man. It had been different. If it, and actually, it wouldn't have been different, but if it would have been our people... I think I could have smoothed it over a little bit better, but we bust these kids in. Bus, take a bus and brought them in, man. After Bible school ended that night, I just knew a parent was going to come and rip us to shreds, maybe even. Uh, but I loved Earl. Okay, so we're back, back in the board meeting. Just giving you a little background on, on this man who became so precious to me. He's back in the board meeting. We get to him. And he begins to share about, I've been at this church since it started. We've had prophetic words that we would be something significant, do significant things. And I pray God lets me live long enough, Michael, to see this full thing through. Let's do it. Because there was a man who was willing to take, take a leap of faith. And everything you do in the kingdom of God is going to take stepping out on a leap of faith. And if you've got enough resources to do it on your own and you know how it's going to happen to the end, guess what? You're not stepping out on faith. You've got to step out in faith. You've got to build with generosity. We, we, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to have that spirit of generosity. And today we're going to build with the last thing that I believe God wants to use so that we can construct what the Lord is going to do and it's that we're going to build in love. Now, I want to take you to the scripture where this all converges. You know it so well. Turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse number 16. This is where generosity and love collide for the purpose of heaven on earth. You know it so well. Say it with me. One, two, three. Read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever mm, believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Love and generosity converged to change the world. And you and I, working in the kingdom of God, the only way we're going to accomplish this is if love and generosity collide in us. Did you know the Bible mentions the word love 541 times? God's trying to convey something to us. I want to just read some stuff to you, and I hope you let this sink in. Again, this is where love and generosity collide to fulfill mission, vision, and values. God gave us an example through sending his son so that we would understand the heartbeat of God. And if we're to participate with what heaven wants to do, if we're really going to construct what God wants to do in our lives, we're going to have to allow our constructive togetherness, our constructive synergy to focus with love and generosity. God in his goodness knew that humanity needed salvation 
And the only way to get it was to have that love and generosity to collide. God loved the world. And here's what I know. Here's what I know about love. Love is an important thing. I told you earlier how important love was. It's, it's the highest human need is to experience and feel love. It's every child's greatest desire. It's every human's, adult's greatest desire. It is to experience and feel love. And God expressed that. But here's what I know about love as it pertains to humans. In order to be able to love somebody, in order to be able to love somebody, you need to get this down pat. You got to love yourself. You got to love yourself. Before you go loving your neighbor, you got to love yourself. Because you, you can't fulfill the great commission until you have grasped the great commandment. To love your neighbor. To love and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. You can't, listen, the great commission is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We've condensed that to preach the good news of Jesus to everyone everywhere. But you can never get there unless you have the great commandment coming alive in your life. In other words, you won't see the need to have to go if you don't love God. But if you love God, you'll do what he asks you to do. Can you say amen? But you can't do what he says to do if you don't have the motivation to do it with. And he says the motivation is love. Loving him and loving your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute. The problem with that is loving myself. So listen, let's, let's talk about that just for a minute. This is the key to fulfilling the great commission is walking in the great commandment. And I want to just share a couple of things with you before I give you two great reasons why we fail to love ourselves. But before we get there, I want to show you something. My, my dear friend, he became a friend of mine, and I do consider him a friend, and I would think that he would too when some of the people were meeting him down at, um, that, at Ruach, uh, a conference done in Chattanooga just recently, and, and they shared that they went to our church, uh, and, and I was their pastor. He said, that's family. And so, I'm not just name dropping here. It's not like we talk every day. But I can tell you, I consider Kevin Wallace to be a friend. My friend Kevin Wallace has a fantastic church. It's a very significant church in the Chattanooga area called Redemption to the Nations Church. It is a church that is uncompromising about the truth. It is a very spirit-filled church. It's very prophetic in its approach and miracles, signs, and wonders break out at this church in a constant in a constant way but it has one goal and he says this all the time and it is to be the most loving church in America if you've ever attended one of their services from the parking lot to everything they do you're going to be lavish with an amount of love that you just it's it's overwhelmingly powerful their parking team i mean i'm talking about they are drenching you with love from the time that you pull on the parking lot until the last amen. Their serve team is at a high level of just pouring love because how many of you know you get culture with intentionality, not with just, it don't just happen. You got to be intentional. How many of you know love is something that you can have an action and give away? It's not just an emotional fuzzy feeling. 
And if you ever go and you ever attend the church, you, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Many of you that's been to a conference there, you know what I'm talking about. Every one of you that's been, I can see you shaking your head because you've been there. It's like, man. And if you've ever experienced it and you have a loved one that haven't, you know what I know you'll say, man, you got to go. You just got to go experience what God is doing through this ministry. And listen, when, but, but when you love, and it, it, I want you to understand, he wants to build the most loving church in America, but culture makes you think that if you're going to walk in love, you've also got to walk in compromise. The world makes you think that if you're going to walk in love, you've got to walk in compromise. I'm telling you, love is not compromise. Love is, is directed towards someone with their best intent at the end result. In other words... You, you want the best for someone. Love is the motivation to want the best for someone. So therefore, when you have that motivation to love someone in that level, you don't just accept everything. The world says, if you love me, you got to accept everything that I say and do. And how many know God's not like that? That's not genuine. That's not authentic love, friend. I don't know what that is, but it is not love because true Authentic love doesn't have compromise written in it. In fact, God says, I love you, therefore I'm going to chasten you. I'm going to chasten you. Let me, read, let me read a couple of those passages of Scripture. Put up Proverbs 3 and 12 says. Proverbs 3 and 12 says, For the Lord love, whom the Lord loves, he what? Corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom he delights. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Good, I I've got a New Testament one for you. Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 6 through 8 says, For whom the Lord love, he chastens. You know what that word chasten means? Literally, trans, literally translated, the word chasten means that he spanks. And I promise you I'm not teaching false doctrine. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which I have become a partaker, then you are illegitimate and are not sons. Wow. <laughs> that is a wow statement. He says in Proverbs that if you don't discipline your own child, you actually hate them. Proverbs 13 and 24 said, He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him promptly. And there's a reason why I'm sharing this with you as it pertains to love because when I preach a word of correction, it's not because I'm mad. And sometimes I say it with passion and I have to say to this congregation, I'm not mad at you. I'm not. It's coming from a place of sincere and authentic love. And if God is going to correct you, it's going to be in sincere and authentic love. But we're going somewhere with this. And I hope you dig in with me here. Because here, here's what you begin to see happening. When there is no sense of correcting, there's no sense of making you, or through love, bringing discipline to your life, most of our failures in life, listen to me, most of, not all of them, but most of our failures in life 
is either we didn't receive the discipline or we rejected discipline and went our own way and got ourselves in trouble. Most of the time why I need God's forgiveness is because I didn't listen to discipline. Come on, be honest with me. Maybe not all the time, but if I get in trouble with God, it's because I didn't discipline. Man, discipline is a curse word nowadays. Like to discipline yourself means to tell yourself no, keep yourself in check. It means making sure that you're making the right decision based upon truth, based upon righteousness. And man, in our culture now, brother, you would think that that's the worst word ever is discipline. It's where we get the word disciple. And that's why Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciples, you're going, to, you're going to take heed to the word. Because in the word has some discipline. Several years ago, a Quaker guy who got baptized in the Holy Spirit, Richard Foster, wrote a book called The Celebration of Discipline. We used to do it in life groups several years ago. I'd suggest if you've never read that book, get that. The Celebration of Discipline. Celebrating a life of discipline. Listen to me. If you're ever going to make it at the next level of life, you won't get there by happenstance. You'll get there by discipline. I know I'm preaching in a Pentecostal church now because we want miracle signs and wonders falling from heaven including the lack of discipline to get there. And I believe in miracle signs and wonders but I'm telling you we have a God who says discipline is what's going to be a part of your life. And he's going to chasten you to get you to that place of discipline. Will he give you a miracle if you didn't read your Bible this week? Yes. But I'm telling you right now, he won't always do that. Will he give you a financial miracle to get you out of your situation? Yes. But if you keep on stealing from him through tithing and offering and don't discipline yourself through tithing and offering, you'll find yourself eating the crumbs off of the floor. I better hide. This thing's too little to hide behind. Discipline. You know why people don't like higher education? Because it requires discipline. Like when you get into college, you find out, do you think that it's all fun and games? Until you get there. And you realize that senior year of high school that you got to fly by the seat of your pants on? You don't get to fly that way no more. Oh, I'm talking good right now. So what we're supposed to do is have discipline and especially when it comes to even the boundaries of love. Listen, we don't like discipline so therefore we just disregard what the Bible says and I'm about to talk to you about importance of love here but I've got to set a few things up and it's kind of going to be here, here, here just a little bit. I'll focus it for you but here's the truth. If you're not disciplined especially when it comes to the, to, to the areas of love you'll mess your life up. 
You say, wait a minute. Discipline when it comes to love. Yeah, see, because here's the problem. In our American culture, we use one word for love, love. And we wipe it over everything that we do. I love pizza. I love you, honey. Wait a minute. There better be a difference between the way I love her and the way I love pizza. If I say to you, I love you, and I look at you and I say, I love you, there better be a difference between the way I love you and the way I love her. Because if they're not, and again, here's where people don't want discipline. If there's not this lady right here who I have the legal right and the discipline to eros love, which is the word we get erotic love, I'll start painting that over you. And guess what you get when you get there? Failure in the pulpit. Because I can't discipline myself to say, this is the way I love here. This is the way I love here. Yes. That's, you, you know what you get when you cross the boundaries of Eros and Storge? Incest. Yeah, because storge is family love. You cross those and don't discipline under the truth. Because storge is, is a love like a father would have toward his daughter. You cross the boundaries in that. You don't, you don't walk in discipline. You don't let the Holy Spirit lead your life. You get in a mess. stuff. If you can't differentiate between phileo, which is a brotherly kind of love, friendship kind of love, and storge love, you'll begin to love your, your friends and the people, your buddies, your bros more than you love your wife and your kids. So you'll be wanting to go hang out with your bros and your marriage going to good preaching, pastor. Y'all don't want to help me, I'll help myself. So we don't want discipline, and we're going to need it in all areas of our life so that we can fulfill God's call and purpose in our life. Can you say amen to that? Well, let me go on and move on past this because I can tell I've got it a little tight in the room right now. If we're going to build with God... We have to build with love. And you have to understand how important it is to love yourself before you love others. There's a reason I'm putting this together, as I've already told you. I want to share with you and give you two main reasons why I believe. These are not all-inclusive, but there's two main reasons why I believe people don't love themselves. And we're going to get, and here's what we're going to do today. We're going to get you healed. We're going to get you free. And we're going to launch you out into the greatest harvest and the move of God for your life that I believe you've ever had. If we can get you free right now. Two main reasons. Two main reasons that I believe people struggle with loving themselves, therefore they can't love others. Two main reasons. You ready to hear them? Number one, the way they look. I thought it'd go over like that. It's okay. It's, it's really okay. 
Because that's the one that we tend to hide behind the most. The way they look. And here's why I know. Here's how I know that because, see, the culture has invaded us to the point that we don't know how to love one another. We don't know how to make sure that we keep love in the categories it's supposed to be in. We, we don't know how to make this happen. Well, I know we're supposed to agape everybody. I'm going to tell you right now, that is a progression of the work of the Holy Spirit that you're going to have to live a disciplined life to walk in the agape love of God. Yes, you will. And if you think you're walking in the agape love of God to the point and the maximum amount that you think you need to, let somebody treat you wrong and you'll find out just how much of the agape love you still need in your life. So, so, so I, pray, I pray that right now this morning that the Holy Spirit will bring a revelation to you about the love of God and loving yourself. So culture has invaded the way that we love so we don't know how to do it right. The Holy Spirit's here to help. Can you say amen? The Holy Spirit's here to shine light at the Word of God. You have the Word of God that will teach you. And if you get into it and be disciplined, how many know the Word of God will teach you how to do this? So, so, so here's, here's what I know. Culture has invaded us to the point that what we, we have a hard time loving others because we don't love ourselves. And the way that you know that is that you become obsessed with the way that you look. I'm not talking about taking care of yourself. I'm talking about you got to have every filter on before you, before you post that uh, next selfie. Yeah, I know it's true. <laughs> Nobody wants to talk about it, but I am. Stick that filter on because it takes away the wrinkles. And it takes away the blemishes. Stretch it out a little bit, and you get a little taller and thinner. Yeah. Manipulate it just right. Put the new little th face on it, and you get to cover stuff up. And we get infatuated because the culture has begun to paint a picture that really removes you from the understanding that you were fearfully and wonderfully made. People can't love themselves, so they got to become somebody else. When you don't love yourself, you start looking for identity in another place. Teenagers, listen to me. You'll start looking for identity in another place. And if you think that somebody got love because they took more clothes off, you know what you'll do? You'll do the same thing. If you think people are getting more attention because they shake their booty on TikTok, guess what you'll do? I'm talking right now because I love you and I want to help some of you. I need to help you to understand the value of who you are created to be right now. Because if you can't understand who you are right now, you can't help out in this mission. You can't work in ministry until you understand who God has called you to be. you got to be secure. Hey, I want to lose a few more pounds. I want to take better care of my body, but it's not to impress you. 
I'm not here to make a statement for myself to you. I want Jesus Christ to be glorified. It's not about me, but I understand if I'm not comfortable in who I am, if I'm not comfortable in what I'm saying, I'll hold stuff back and I'll constantly be posturing, hoping you'll love me, hoping you'll want to be here. Listen to me. I want you to be here, but if I have to change my relationship with God to get you here, mm. If, if, I have, if I have to be a different guy, if I have, listen, this lady right here I'm married to, my family can tell you the same guy that is in this pulpit is the same guy at home. I, it's too much to have to try to keep up an image for anybody else. I dress the way I dress because that's how I dress on an everyday way. I mean, I'm not trying to put on a show for anybody. I don't feel like I need to impress anybody. What I feel like I've got to do is pour out the love of God to the very best that I can where somebody can at least experience the goodness of God and I don't have a, it, it's too much to have to try to impress you and not work enough to impress her. I want to be the same guy. Yeah, I'm work, I, I want to work on me. I want my health to be better. I, I, you know, I, I mean, I wish I had a few less gray hairs. But I've been doing this for 20 years now. <laughs> I wish... But, but those things, listen to me, t t man, that's not, that's not what image is about. Can I, can I bring this down here? Y'all mind if I stay down here a little bit? Make this hard a little bit on the camera maybe. We are obsessed the way that we look. We're too fat. We're too skinny. We're too white. We're too black. We're too tall. We're too short. We're too, we, we have the wrong color eyes. Somebody else looks prettier. I have to put on this filter, crop this, stretch that, make this happen. And the culture has lied to us to try to change the image of who we are. And the book of Psalms in Psalm 139, 13 through 14 says, For you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that may that my soul knows well. Do you see that? It says that my soul knows well. Do you know what your soul is? Your mind, will, and emotions. Do you know what I see when I see this psalm right here? I see, I see King David walking up to the mirror not because of just the external, but because of the glory of God and looking into that mirror and saying, man, look at the work of God's hand. Not out of pride, not out of arrogance, not out of self-indulgence or self, you know. <laughs> Can I tell myself? So y'all guys know that my wife loves the professional bull riders. She loves the PBR. She's a city girl and loves bull riding. How does that happen? I don't even know. But she loves bull riding. Not to, people ask her all the time, do you ride bulls? No. She doesn't ride them. She just likes to watch it. Y'all don't know this, man. She, you, you know they have the NFL uh, fantasy football leagues, right? People play that stuff. Do you know that she won first place for the entire nation on professional bull riders? Not for money. She, you know, it wasn't for money. I know some of these places don't go and they do, do it for money. But what she done, she just went and picked the right bull and the right guy. She got the highest score and Ariat Boots sent her seven pair of boots. And 
Do you know, do you know that my wife applied for a trip to the to Las Vegas for the finals and she won an $11,000 prize pack that we got to fly to, to, to Las Vegas and stayed in the MGM Grand and got shuttled back and forth. She had to go make a TV appearance. This girl's famous, okay? Y'all know I'm married up. So, where was I even going with this story? Huh? Yeah, I'm tell, I'm telling on myself. So my wife, she 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 loves she loves bull riding, and uh, th- that's that's really not my. I still can't remember where I was going. It was important. I remember. You help me, Seth. You're the man, brother. So we go out to Las Vegas. And they have all this pre-show going on. And in the pre-show, they got all these songs that's playing. And I hear a song out there that I'd never heard in my life. We're sitting in the stadium, and it starts playing this song. And I said, honey, you mean we came all the way out here for you to get the revelation of just who I am? And there was a song that came on, you can tell everybody, I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am. That was terrible of me to say. I said, but honey, you brought me all the way out here to hear this song to get a revelation of who your husband really is. But then, <laughs> then it said, I believe every lie I ever told. I'm like, no, no, no. Let's, let's, let's jump away from that song right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of pride and arrogance. and self. I'm talking about looking at yourself and saying, man, God has made you. I'm talking about looking at yourself. And the Bible says, and that my soul knows very well. My mind, will, and emotions. Emotions, emotions, emotions. Mind, will, and emotions is convinced. Nobody can play on my emotions to make me think that if I take my clothes off for them, then I'm more valuable. Nobody can convince me that if I act in a certain way and have to feel like I got to get high and doped up in order to fit it. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. When your mind, will, and emotions is convinced that I am a child of God, that the Lord has fearfully and wonderfully made me, and if you don't love me, somebody else will, and that's all right with me. I'm still going to be who I am in the presence of God. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not talking about being mean to somebody. I'm just talking about knowing that, you know what? I don't look like this guy. And I don't have the muscles that guy does. And I don't have the skin this guy got. But I got what God made me. I got what God gave me. And that's all right with me. Because this skin and these hands and these legs will still preach the gospel, lay hands on sick people. We'll experience the goodness of the Lord. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll do. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah. Genesis says, Genesis 127 said that he created you in his image and in his likeness. The reason we have a hard time loving somebody else is that we fail to look at ourselves and recognize that I'm made in God's image and so is someone else. So we don't see their redemptive value. We see their actions. But what if God looked at your actions instead of your redemptive value? What if God looked at my actions instead of my redemptive value? I can tell you what my, what my job title would be, disqualified. Yeah. 
If we're going to build with God, we're going to have to be able to look at people and see the redemptive value that they carry. I'm not talking about compromise. I'm not talking about starting to compromise the ways and the will of God. I'm talking about speaking the truth in love. But I am saying, walk in the redemptive value of understanding. And listen, if you have that resonant on the inside of you, you won't lack confidence. Uh, I've, I've shared this with people on the worship team over the years. Not everybody, not every time. But when somebody starts, you, you're talking to them, especially if they're young and they start coming up, sometimes you have to have this talk with them. Here's what the talk looks like. They'll usually say, I'm too nervous, I'm too nervous. My talk is not usually, oh, it's okay, baby. My talk is usually, you think too highly of yourself. Whoa. Yeah, you think too highly of yourself. You think that we're all there to watch you. And we're all there to encounter God. All you got to do is help us do that. And if you won't think too highly of yourself, if you'll, if, you'll seek an, if you'll seek an audience with one, this is not your audience, honey. This is not your audience. That's your audience. We're just coming together. You're just teaching us how to sing it. If, you'll, if, you'll, if, if you won't think so highly of yourself, and if you'll put God in that place, and if you'll recognize that, that, that God has already, already qualified you, already called you, you're already accepted, we already love you, if you'll just not... See, because if you get, if you get wrapped up in all of self-identity, see, it, what you're exposing is a personal insecurity. What you're exposing is a personal insecurity that you've failed to receive that God has already accepted about you. And if you'll receive that he called you, he gave you your voice, he qualified you, he gave you the position, then you can stand there. And not let your emotions, see when your soul knows very well, when your soul, listen, I might not be able to preach like Kevin Wallace, but my soul knows very well this is what I'm called to do. So I'm not intimidated when Pastor Kevin's preaching. I'm praying. God, give me that voice. Anyway. So, are we okay? For whatever reason, I touched this and it all went away. If we understand, if we can look in a mirror and recognize I am fearfully, wonderfully made, I am made in the likeness, of in, the, in the image of God, then arrogance and pride will not fill our hearts, but a sense of gratitude and awe at the working of God's hand. The fact that my mouth gets to be an extension of his heart. That my hands gets to be an extension of his own. That my legs can run swiftly to his purpose and his call. That I get to construct with God what God is doing in the earth. And he wants me as a partner. That's powerful. The second thing. Here's number two. The way we look and what we've done. Many times we disqualify ourselves because of what we've done so therefore we look at others a different way we don't see ourselves as fully forgiven therefore we don't see others as in the capacity of being fully forgiven we think that somehow our failures are so uniquely bad and that if we live in that then we don't have to express love at its highest level because we don't love ourselves we don't love ourselves because we don't see ourselves forgiven. 
We don't see the blood of Jesus as enough. We don't see the grace of God as enough. I've heard people say this over and over. I can believe God to forgive them, but I can't believe him, them, him to forgive me. When you recognize that you are forgiven and truly free, you know why we sing these songs about chains falling off and all those sort of things? They're coming from a heart that God has moved upon in such a way that they have been able to express a chain that has fallen off of their life and now they are free to participate in what God is doing. And what God is doing is God wants to love people. And listen to me, he can't love people until you love yourself because he's going to love through you. Yes, he loves them, but you're going to demonstrate that love. You're going to be the demonstration of the love of God, but you won't demonstrate it well if you don't see his grace and his mercy as as powerful as it really is. If you still hold on to the fact that you might not be forgiven of this and you might not be forgiven of that, it is in that that you give yourself permission not to love someone else in that way. You'll want to hold something against them. Yeah, you'll want to hold something against them. You, you, you'll have a hard time if, if, if brother over here makes a mistake. They mess up. You'll want to hold that against them if you yourself have not been totally forgiven and free of what you've done. You'll want to hold some form of judgment over them. If not consciously, subconsciously. You'll distance yourself. You'll respond in the wrong way. When love and generosity collide, it is God that looks down at a human being and recognizes that they are totally, completely lost and flawed, but still steps into their situation to offer the necessary forgiveness and healing that makes someone totally free. Listen, you can't give your testimony with, with great conviction unless you yourself have been truly forgiven. You won't feel the need to share your testimony if that somewhere in, inwardly you're still holding on to the unforgiveness of self. But when you have truly let God truly forgive you, you want to tell everybody about it. When God has truly freed your heart, you'll want to tell everybody about it. I believe these two reasons are the reasons why people don't operate in love fully. But if what we can do is let the word of God rewrite our feelings. If we can let the truth come alive in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. If we can recognize that the blood of Jesus Christ really was enough. If the grace of God is really sufficient enough. If where sin abounded, grace did really abound to the level whereby that you truly have been completely forgiven. It allows the love of God to explode in your heart to engage in mission. 
Paul standing before people who he himself has been a murderer. He himself has been a condemner. And he drug people off by jail. And he stood and he said, I would be condemned but for the grace of God. And in the grace of God, he understood himself to be completely forgiven even when others did not trust him. Even when others looked at him in a way that, may, hey, wait a minute, wasn't this the guy that was dragging people off to jail? But he looked at himself as one that has been forgiven. And every time he's told the story, he told about how the love of God came upon his life how God encountered him to the point and it was the grace and the mercy of God that qualified him to be an apostle and he was a strong apostle he was so strong and secure in the love that God had for him that even when it was necessary to confront the one apostle that Jesus spent so much time with Peter himself he stood in the love of God and confronted Peter If we're going to build with God, we're going to build in love. I want you to stand with me this morning. Again, there was 541 passages of Scripture that we could have went to to talk about the love of God. And we could have talked about the importance of love. And I actually had a few uh, poems and testimonies of what the love of God had done for people. But I couldn't say it any more eloquent than it said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That says, though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity love, it profits me nothing. And he said, though I understand all mysteries and though I understand all knowledge and give my body to be burned, if I have not charity, it profits me nothing. Can I ask you a question? Do, do you flow in a deep sense of God's love for humanity? Do, do you feel that deep sense of God's love for humanity? If not, I pray that we have a baptism of the love of God in our church. Man, if you love people, you don't think of abusing them. Can I tell you what abuse is? Abuse is not hauling off and hitting somebody, even though that can be part of it. Abuse comes from the two words, abnormal use. To use something abnormally. Don't use yourself abnormally and don't use others abnormally. Well, if we could just get that concept right there, boy, that would be so revolutionary in our walk. Like, don't use yourself abnormally. Out of normal use. How many of you know that would keep us out of a whole lot of bondages and stuff? If we just didn't abnormally use ourselves. Abuse ourselves. Like we start thinking of our bodies and our lives and our minds as something that is used other than the glory of God. That's an abnormal use.
because we're to glorify God with our spirit and our body, which belongs to the Lord, right? I feel like I'm failing to communicate the heaviness of how I feel this. And I'm depending on the Holy Spirit, hopefully, to give you a revelation of this at a deeper level. I'm, I'm praying the Holy Spirit would so really give you, like, if you have a real good revelation of the love of God and abnormal use, young men, when you take girls out on a date, your mind is not set up on wrong things. Because you know that would be an abnormal use. You've abused her. What? Abused her? I didn't cuss her out. I didn't smack her. No, but if you started down first base, second base, third base, you know what you did? You abused her. Yes, you did. If we could just understand walking in the love of God, the, the way that I feel like God wants to do, I'm telling you, I am telling you, man, you talk about fulfilling mission, vision, and values. I don't have time to go into all the little cliches that have to do with, you know, don't tell, don't, don't, don't tell me how much Jesus loves me until you can show me how much He loves me. There's all kinds of those cliches that we can talk about right now. I could give you enough one-liners to make this service go on for another hour. I'm not going to do that to you. What I'm praying and believing for is the Holy Spirit give us all a sense of what He wants to do with building the mission, vision, and values that He has for Covenant Fellowship Church, for your family, for us together, what God wants to do. Now there abides faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. If you could spend the next six months praying for one thing. If you said, Pastor, if I could spend the next six months to pray for one thing, what would you want me to pray about? I'd say, I want you to pray about knowing the love of God. Because Paul said, how wide? How high? How And the love of God will correct so many things, bring so many things into alignment. See, we keep thinking of the love of God as mushy. The love of God is strong and corrective. But in that strong correction, it's the greatest amount of safety and security you've ever experienced in your entire life. Yeah, it is. Listen, let me tell you what it looks like in the scope of eternity. The love of God is so powerful and so strong, and it's the safest thing that you could ever experience in your life. God's love is so strong in that He's made this place called heaven, and He made a place called hell to separate the, those that walk in the love of God and those that don't. And because we walk in the love of God, He says, I'm going to build a city, and I'm going to build a tower, I'm going to build a wall around it, and I'm going to keep the people of God in such a place of safety and security. I love you so much that I cannot let that which makes a lie, that which is not of courage, that which is false and wrong to come into this place. Some people say it's a loving God. How could a loving God send people to hell? Because He is loving. Yes, because He is loving. 
Again, the love of God is not this mushy thing that says, well, honey, if you want to do it, go ahead and do it. He says, no, 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 no. He says, if you do that, that's bad for you. It's going to destroy you now, and it's going to destroy you for eternity. And he says, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you do that. So I want to call you into true, authentic, pure love, not abuse. I want to call you into pure, authentic love. And it's in there that you'll find the greatest amount of safety. You'll find the greatest amount of security. You'll find the greatest amount of acceptance. I mean, this kind of love in God is not performance-driven. It's not performance-driven. Is performance important? Of course. But it's not performance-driven. God knows everything about you right now. You haven't hidden anything from the Lord. You haven't hidden one thought. You haven't hidden one deed. You've not hidden anything from God. You can hide it from your parents. You can hide it from your spouse. You can hide it from your brother, your sister, your mother, your preacher, whoever else. Because what we want to do is keep this image going of somebody that we want other people to believe that we are. Because if they really knew the real me, they'd think I'm a freak and not have anything to do with me. Right? That's what. Come on, let's be honest. How many know the enemy plays that head game with you? But guess what? God knows everything about you. And he still sent Jesus to come after you. Yeah, he knows everything about you. And he still sent Jesus to come to, come to you. Oh, praise the Lord. And that wraps up this episode of the Covenant Fellowship Podcast. For more information about who we are, please visit us at cfbristol.com or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We hope that you have a blessed day. And as always, just like we find in Isaiah 60, verse 1, we hope you arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you.